Hello and welcome to RCSI My Health. This podcast explores a wide range of areas in health and well-being and brings together some of the leading healthcare experts in these fields. Our goal is to empower you with the right knowledge so that you can make informed decisions about your health and well-being. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome to the RCSI My Health series, supported this year by Fleming Medical. Uh, I'm Professor Kieran O'Boyle from the Centre of Positive Health Sciences here at RCSI, and today we're going to discuss uh, going back to school, how to help your children uh, to flourish on their return to school. The My Health series explores a wide range of areas of health and well-being and in it we bring together leading experts uh, in the fields of healthcare with the goal of empowering you with the knowledge to make informed decisions about your own health uh, and well-being and of course the health and well-being uh, of those you love. Today I'm joined by Dr. Mary Collins, Chartered Psychologist and Senior Coach Practitioner here at the RCSI Centre for Positive Health Sciences. Dr. Yolanta Burke, who's a Senior Lecturer at the RCSI Centre for Positive Health Sciences. And Dr. Trudy Meehan, who's a Senior Clinical Psychologist specialising in Child and Adolescent Mental Health and a Lecturer at the RCSI Centre for Positive Health Sciences. Welcome to the RCSI My Health series. So we're going to start uh, uh, today by looking at the, the challenges of returning to school for young pe- children and young people, but we're also going to look at the positives of that. So Trudy, can, can I ask you first, what kinds of challenges are there and what are the positives of this transition back into, into school? It's a great question and I think you've almost answered it by calling it a transition and I think that's the thing to remember. It's a temporary period that can be challenging at times and often just because transitions equal turbulence, a change, often in routine or just different cycles and rhythms come in. So, so that's often the biggest challenge, just shifting from one pattern to the other. But the great thing about a transition is it gives us a threshold space where we step from one space to another. And I, I love the opportunities that, that a threshold brings up and that imagery of leaving behind practices or habits from one phase of our time and stepping into a new phase where we want to introduce new habits or, or practices. And that's a lovely opportunity that we have at this moment. It might be things that bugged us during the holiday time that we want to stop doing and maybe new ideas or aspirations that we have going forward. So this transition period opens up a space to do that for us. That's great. So what might seem stressful when you look at it first really does offer opportunities. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, thanks. We will come back around to that. Yolanta, you've done a lot of research uh, in education with children. How do you see the, the transition uh, back to school for young people? I see it actually in a very similar way to Trudy in that it is a positive, on, on a, an opportunity for students to um, do something different, to um, change the way they think, they do things in school, maybe become the better versions of themselves. So even helping students at this stage to dream what they, their next year would be like would be just wonderful. It's an opportunity to do this, to create that image and then hopefully take steps to make it happen. 
Excellent. Thanks very much, Ed. And Mary, a lot of your work is with what's called Gen Z. Would you explain who Gen Z are and what, what you see is the importance of the transition for that cohort? Yeah, sure. So Generation Z um, are typically born from 1995 to 2010. So they're really the, the teenagers. And at the, the youngest Gen Zs will be transitioning to secondary school this year. And I am living with one in my own household. <laughs> and I think that's a significant transition moving from primary to secondary school. Um, coming from a lot of scaffolding and a lot of support into a, a whole new environment with lots of opportunities to try new subjects, meeting new friends, new sports, new activities, but also a lot of unknowns. So it's, it's a two-sided kind of... Absolutely. Uh, excellent, okay. Now, we're, we're all from the, the Centre for Positive Health Science, so we're going to try and take a, a more positive view of these transitions. And among the sciences here that are important, well, lifestyle medicine, which is emerging, positive psychology is emerging as a major discipline, and we, we have the research on emotional intelligence. So let's just explain, perhaps, what we mean by those. Really, can I start with you? Lifestyle medicine and what, what we learn from that. Yeah, it, it, it's essentially a practice and a specialization within a practice amongst health professionals and allied health professionals where we focus on evidence-based therapeutic interventions that focus on the whole person and things that they can do in their general lifestyle patterns of behaviors and ways of thinking and the idea or the target of lifestyle medicine essentially are things like chronic diseases that have contributions in how we live in terms of their causes. So that can be things like diabetes, um, some cancers, heart disease, things like that, some mental health issues, even some dementias have lifestyle causes contributing to them. And within the field of lifestyle medicine, practitioners focus on three or six pillars. Mm. And they essentially are, and I'll just speak about them very quickly, um, healthy eating, tends to focus on whole plant-based diets and um, exercise, but exercise in terms of physical activity, just everyday movement and moving regularly. Um, sleep, which isn't very exciting, but we all need it. Stress resilience, so building up your capacity to cope with stress, encouraging positive relationships and connection in your life. And then, which is something we all already know about, the avoidance of risky substances. The idea really with lifestyle medicine is that all of those pillars work together. And I think that's one of the benefits of the approach. I, I, and one of the challenging things, especially as a parent and you know somebody trying to get everybody back to school and get into a new routine, you have to work with all of those pillars. So sometimes sleep isn't right because maybe diet or physical activity hasn't been right in that day. So they work together and in combination. It's challenging, but it's also enlightening because if you're not doing well on one pillar, sometimes the answer is in one of the other ones. That's really interesting. So for, for helping young people going back to school and so on, these are important lifestyles that we, we try to support and that in itself is, it creates a, a positive foundation. That's, that's great. We'll come back to some of those. And Yolanta, then, your background, you've, you've great expertise in positive psychology. What, what does that mean? What do we mean by positive psychology? Positive psychology is the science of what is right with people rather than wrong. For 
for about a hundred years we have focused in psychology on what is wrong with people simply because we really wanted to help those that were in need. And so that was the right decision. But what happened was that by around 1998, we've had about, there was one particular study that showed one study, scientific study on well-being uh, versus 17 studies on depression. So our, um, our knowledge of human beings was a little bit out of balance. And this is really what positive uh, psychology is trying to do, tries to, tries to create that balance in the way we perceive a human being. So we're looking at slightly different topics than the usual psychologists. Uh, we'll be looking at uh, topics like kindness. What does it mean to be kind? What, does it, um, what can we do to be a little bit more kind in the world? Um, what are the benefits of it? And so on. And, and we have the whole range of topics that relate to well-being. So within um, the school context, um, it is actually a very much, very fast emerging research and practice. So a lot of the programs that are now offered, um, well-being programs would incorporate aspects of positive psychology because it doesn't guess what it means to be well. It actually provides solid evidence um, that helps us understand the well-being in school. And we are also not looking just at young people or teachers or any other educators that are not doing well, that 10, 15, 20% of people who maybe have depression, anxiety, or any other challenges. We're looking at the entire school population and all the parents. So positive psychology embraces everybody and helps people who are moderately well flourish psychologically. Excellent. That's a great. Uh, because, uh, of course, a lot of us, we were, well, we're not sick, we not, may not be flourishing. So exactly. the question is, how do we get everybody up the up the, the ladder in terms of flourishing exactly yeah and then we've a lot of research then mary on the signs you call it the science i suppose of em emotional intelligence and that's that's increasingly important what, what do we mean by that what's its relevance in this context yeah sure well the the foundation of emotional intelligence is actually self-awareness it's being aware of your emotional landscape and then regulating your emotions um, and it also refers to how we interrelate with others. So showing empathy and flexibility um, among other key areas. It's really important, particularly for parents, because we talk in psychology about emotional contagion, that emotions are contagious. So if we're stressed and anxious as parents, um, perhaps a child is moving schools or moving to a different phase of the school system, that the children co-regulate with us and they pick up on those emotions. Whereas if we focus on being calm and composed and positive, that can have a really significant impact on the children. Brilliant. So what we're going to do in the rest of the session then is try to draw practical uh, lessons, ideas from each of these disciplines that can help parents grandparents like me, uh, you know, carers, to help young people and children to make this transition back into, into school. You know, so if we, if we kick off then with, say, lifestyle medicine, uh, what, what would be the things you'd pick out there that we can say, here are things that you as parents and carers and grandparents, here are the kinds of things that you can be thinking about? Yeah, the two, we could talk about all of the pillars. Two of the biggest ones especially at this time, are sleep and relationships. So I'll start with sleep, especially for adolescents. We know that their circadian rhythms shift 
as they enter puberty and it can shift as much as two hours. So young people who easily went to sleep at nine o'clock can no longer go to sleep easily and it's 11 o'clock is their ideal time. But they still need about nine hours sleep. So adolescents tend to struggle a lot with sleep and sleep deprivation. It's really challenging to manage that for them, but I think just as parents and caregivers to acknowledge that and acknowledge it for the whole family, that the first week back in school, they're going to be sleep deprived. They're going to be emotionally quite tender because of that. And you know, that's tough. So there's obvious advice, but it's hard to implement. Start to go to bed a little bit earlier. So if people are awake until 1 a.m. or 12 midnight, start now a week before going back to school to go to bed 15 minutes earlier every night it's very hard a lot of people want to get the most out of the last week so the best you can probably do is self-compassion and understanding about that crankiness when everybody is sleep deprived but also to understand that that's something to work on going forward and it will pass um, the other thing then, and, and it goes with that, how we manage each other and live with each other, is that idea of positive relationships. And young people really need that, especially at this time. Because for both age groups, younger children, perhaps going out to school for the first time, and adolescents, they're coming home and they need home to be a safe place where they can stop performing. They don't have to be good and well behaved. They don't have to regulate anymore. They need a place where they can collapse a little bit, be a little bit dysregulated and emotional, and they can do that safely at home. So that means, and as Mary was saying, for us as parents and caregivers, we really need to mind ourselves, try not to get triggered and try to be able to maintain that positive relationship and that safe space for them to come home to where they can be authentic and themselves without fear of rupturing their attachment with us. And we'll come back around to that issue about how we look after ourselves as parents. And we may also come back to the issue of the technology, the phones and so on, inter intervening into those safe, safe spaces. Uh, actually. And so from a positive psychology point of view then, Yolanta, what are the kinds of practical things that parents can do? How, how should they be thinking if we take a positive uh, orientation to this? Well, um, I think there are so many tools that positive psychology offers, but um, one that um, I frequently use, especially now with my little boy, I have a four-year-old boy at home, is um, trying this strength-based parenting. Strength-based parenting is really about two things. Firstly, it's about um, noticing strengths in your child, and secondly, it's about amplifying them. So. It is about um, figuring out what our child does really well. And we are programmed not to look at it. We are programmed to look at the deficits because we were always taking on milestones. We were always taking on um, the things that the child could improve. So when the child maybe does not color in properly, we say, hey, look over here, you've missed it a little. Rather than focusing on the, on the good things that they have done with the picture, the different colors they have used perhaps. And the same is with, um, with really any aspects of, of their life. So uh, Strength-based parenting is about focusing your attention on what is that my child does really well and then trying to amplify it. So that could be just by um, maybe once a week reflecting on what exactly is that one thing, one strength that my child has and then 
focusing for the whole week on noticing the strength in your child and then trying to talk to your child at the end of this week about the strength that they have used to make them more aware of the strength. And then as you progress through those st the strength knowledge, you can amplify it by um, noticing it in various situations. So saying, hey, I see that you've used the strength of perseverance here or the strength of kindness there. Um, and then even helping your child um, to figure out how they can cha uh, tackle challenges um, using the strength that they are strengths that they already have. And that is really crucial because research is showing us, especially very early on, when we try and help our young uh, people to understand what their strengths are later on in life, they are much more confident, they uh, perform much better, but most importantly, their well-being is significantly higher. So that is a really wonderful gift that a parent can give to their children to actually notice their strengths and try and amplify them. Now, we are going back to school and the link between um, the strengths, the strength-based parenting and school um, has only been discovered recently. It's actually by our centre. We've, we've done some research last year um, that looked at um, the impact of strength-based parenting on school belonging. School belonging is crucial because when children feel they belong um, to school, um, they tend to not be anxious about going to school. They tend to have a much larger network, um, support network within the school. So we really as parents need to uh, help them as much as we can to help them belong uh, at school. Um, to date, research is showing us that the best predictor of that belonging is uh, the relationship that children have or young people have with their teacher. But our research last year showed that parents play a huge role in it as well. And that is through um, that strength-based parenting that they can make a big difference. So parents who practice strength-based uh, strength parenting, uh, their children had also higher levels of school belonging. So that's a really important aspect. And this is also particularly useful for the diverse groups that we have in our schools nowadays. So um, there is some really interesting research on third culture kids. And third culture kids are the children that um, are brought up in Ireland from parents that are not originally from Ireland. So for example, I'm Polish and the children, let's say that we have two, we have a child whose two parents are Polish. So they are brought up with one particular culture at home then they go to school and they are merged into a completely different culture. And as a result, the child has to create their own third culture uh, that mixes up both. And what's really interesting about these children is that later on, when they are 18, 20, when you ask them, where do you belong? They don't belong in Ireland. They don't belong in Poland because they have a bit of everything. But they always say they belong at the school where that, that they have graduated from. So this is particularly important for those children. It's very interesting. So it's a, sa a, sa a safe space. And one of the things I'd, I'd, I'd pick up is this idea that, you know, we're, we're, we're orientated or can be programmed to see the negatives. The great thing about the strengths-based approach is we're kind of having to practice and help children practice. They know what their vulnerabilities are. We have to teach them how to see, how to see the negative. Thanks, Yolanta. Now, emotional intelligence at this time is kind of really cr mm. critical, Mary. Mm. What kind of advice you should we be giving parents uh, in terms of you know, managing, managing emotions around transitions back yes. to school? Well, I think anyone with teenagers at home will appreciate there can be a lot of emotions 
Um, and the word emotion comes from the Latin word motus, which means movement. And emotions are flowing through us all the time. And it's really important to recognize them, to name them, to actually label them, and to support our children and teenagers with understanding how they are feeling. I like to call it name it to tame it. Mm -hmm. You know, let's, let's name the emotion we're feeling and actually work through it. Because if we try and just put a lid on it all the time, it will end up exploding. So working through those emotions, particularly the ones, the more frustration, the emotions around frustration and challenge. Um, so very important to express the emotion and for parents to really listen and really be present and allow the child and the teenager to really express how they're feeling. Um, the two emotional intelligence areas I think are really important at this time of transition. One would be empathy. Um, really trying to understand what your child or young person is going through, um, really listening, really tuning in to their reality, what's happening for them. And the other area is to help them, support them around developing um, optimism and hopefulness. Mm -hmm. And we know from the research, one of the best ways is to practice gratitude. So a very simple practice for parents at the end of the day with your child or teenager, just to reflect on what went well today. Let's think about three things that went really well today. And I think if you can build that in as a positive habit, that can have a, a really, really positive impact. So just moving slightly then to, we've lots of stressed parents uh, out there at the moment. It's a it's kind of challenging time, not just for children, but also for parents. So could we do the same thing? Could we say, well, what, what kinds of things can parents do to look after their own health? It's like putting on your own oxygen mask first, I suppose, you know. So from emotional intelligence, positive psychology and lifestyle medicine, what's the advice for parents in terms of looking after themselves so they can in turn look after their children more effectively? Mary, could I, could I kick off with you on that? Yeah, I think, um, I think it's so important to put on the oxygen mask first. And I think particularly women, mothers, our, our instinct is always to put the child first or the teenager first. Um, so I would say self-compassion is so important, particularly at this time, to just be kind to yourself, to find those, as my colleague Yolanta would say, the micro joys in, in the day um, and those micro moments of joy are so important, particularly at this time of transition. So Yolanta, the same question, what can we learn from positive psychology? What are one of the two things we can use from positive psychology to help, help parents, help ourselves as parents uh, to, to flourish, to do better so that we can help our children more? I think that there are so many different tools that we can that we have at, at our disposal and that there are really many things we can do so Mary already mentioned gratitude what went well when bad things maybe happened uh, on the day and this activity is particularly useful when we didn't have a good day um, also some positive anticipation mm -hmm. so we always talk about anxiety so what will go badly so I remember last year my little boy was um, just didn't behave very well on the first day of school and the teacher brought me aside and said well um, here's what happened and I remember thinking to myself initially 
oh Jesus, what's going to happen tomorrow? I hope everything will be well. And then I remembered about positive um, anticipation about, okay, it will be well. It will be all sorted out because it always gets better. I just need to figure out a way. So what am I looking forward to? to tomorrow and it's really about trying to find space in your life for that positive anticipation and most importantly find, find space in your life for minding yourself because very often what we do is we focus so much on the children and we forget about ourselves so really finding carving some space in your life to give yourself a break to give yourself that little bit of compassion and make sure that you do it daily yes excellent okay because if you burn out you're not you're not used to <laughs> i know <laughs> thanks Trudy, same question so for parents then what's your thinking there's two things that come to mind one is lean on other people and ask for help, which we, we are getting less and less good at. Mm -hmm. we, we think we have to be completely, you know, just an independent individual. But for a lot of people, they still have grandparents around who they can lean on. We know from um, the TILDA study, the Irish Longitudinal Study of Ageing, that 54% of grandparents engage in childcare mm -hmm. in Ireland at the moment. and the number of hours per week is 28 on average. And after retirement, it's 38. So grandparents nearly do a full week of childcare. Some grandparents. So ask for help. But what we also know is that if one person in the family is anxious or feeling negative about school, and if you can't shift that mindset, somebody else in the family can help you. So if there's another carer or somebody else within the family system or a friend who can take the role of having the positive view of what's happening, that can moderate things. You don't have to do it all on your own. The other thing I would say is just lower our expectations in that you can't do everything all at once. Um, see your job as the parent provides the youth decides, so the young person decides. So something like healthy eating, there's so much pressure. Your job is to provide options, healthy options. They won't always go for it, but at least you're providing and you're modeling. And the idea of not yet, I think it's a really important thing and it comes from the work of Carol Dweck and growth mindsets, but I love this phrase. And I always have the, the, the best image of not yet is the football coach with this like, you know, hopeless player. And he says, you missed the ball, but, but you nearly hit it this time. You're not there yet. Yes. And it's watching, as Yolanta was saying, when you're looking for strength, sometimes you're looking for almost done something, almost did it rather than completed it. And just we're not there yet, but we almost did it. So something like we were late again this morning could be like we weren't on time yet but we were five minutes less late than we were yesterday, you know, and, and really start, it, it's around the old behavioral intervention term for this was forward chaining. And the idea is just you break things down into small chunks and you succeed on the first step of a task and that builds momentum for the second set step of a task. So all we want to do is build positive emotion and positive momentum and energy to move us forward step by step. Very good, thanks, Rudy. And one quick question, uh, it's, if, if I may, with your background as a clinician dealing with children and adolescents, I mean, there are some very, very anxious children. We've been talking more generally 
but for some parents who have children whose anxiety needs more than just a parental intervention, would, would that be right? Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of genuinely anxious young people who present, they would present to their GPs or to a, a service, a psychological service, and perhaps get a diagnosis of school refusal. The thing about school refusal is there's a huge variety of reasons why a young person may not want to go to school. Something from something internal to the young person, sensory overwhelm. A lot of neurodivergent young people feel very overwhelmed in a school setting. Something like an undiagnosed learning difficulty where the challenges or the learning environment doesn't meet their needs. And something like an emotional distress, like anxiety, separation anxiety, some mood problems can also contribute to those things. But also, it's really important to look at the whole environment of the young person. And there can be a mismatch between the young person and their school environment. And as Yolanta was saying, that's why belonging is really important. Young people need to feel safe at home, but they also need to feel safe in school. And it's... The thing to say about genuinely anxious young people um, who are refusing to go to school is don't ignore it. Early intervention is really important. A good assessment of what's happening is really important because the causes are real, but most of them can be addressed very easily. Um, once we work out exactly what's going on, listen to the young person. Often they can come up with solutions. I think Mary talked about that idea of working and co-designing solutions with young people. Ask them what they need to feel comfortable in school, to feel safe in school. Often they'll have really good ideas and it can open up a space for connection between you and your young person to explore that. The challenge then as a parent is to have good communication channels with the school. So it's always important to start to establish that right at the beginning. Um, and, and it can be challenging, especially if, if you as a parent are anxious or perhaps if the parent is neurodiverse, they might have social anxiety or they might have communication needs that need to be addressed. So being aware of your own needs as a parent, how that impacts on how you communicate with the school and other services that might work with your young person and keeping the channels open and collaboration and kind of co-designing solutions with everybody is the way and forward. That would all work with a child who's not overly anxious but is, is anxious. Yeah. So coming to the end, we've covered a lot of ground now, so can I, can I go around and just ask you for your one sort of take home, your takeaway message for people who are interested in, in this My Health uh, podcast or who are watching the video. Mary, what would your take home message be? So two take home messages, if that's okay. That's right. <laughs> Number one, um, and I'm going to zone in more on the second level, the Gen Z population. Um, the first one relates to digital well-being. Um, I think we have to acknowledge that this generation we're talking about are the true digital natives. Mm -hmm. And this is their world. This is where they get the information, where they connect their community. Um, and to, as parents, I think we need to understand it more, get educated. And just this week, actually, I, um, I have my own Snapchat account <laughs> to really understand my 12 year old is on Snapchat right. and I wanted to get sort of under the bonnet, find out what it's all about. Mm -hmm. So I think to have an openness around that mm -hmm. and to watch the role modeling around your own digital use. Yeah. Um, the second takeaway then would be really for parents to take a coaching approach and quite simply 
Um, just to Trudy's point there around co-designing solutions, um, not telling the child or teenager what to do, but really listening with curiosity, asking good open questions and helping them find their own solution. That's really good psychology there. Thanks very much, Mary, for that. Same quick uh, takeaways, Yolanta. What would your takeaways be for people? I think the main one for me is still to do with strengths yes. because I think that it's wonderful, it'll be wonderful if parents really embrace the idea of strength. So identify what's good about your child and then amplify it and do the same for yourself and your family members and make maybe this year a year when you truly um, learn the vocabulary around strengths and let the entire family benefit from it and the school as well. And there's a great deal of research to support that, isn't Huge it? Huge amount, amount of research and a lot of the research that we have at the moment focuses on specific models of, um, of strengths. So there is actually a very simple assessment that you can complete to identify your strengths and young people can identify their strengths. And there is also uh, strength spotting uh, that, that parents can do about younger people and all of it is available on the website called uh, www.viacharacter.org. Um, free of charge but you don't need that you can actually just tap into it and yourself. we'll put up that we'll put up that website for people who are interested thanks very much Yolanda. and Trudy your takeaways for people at this point Diana? I'm gonna say two things and they're quite different but just to mention homework I, I would advocate for active homework as much as possible um, we know young people need more playtime more physical activity and if the school and your teacher is in any way open to active homework, there's lots of great programs out there. The Irish Heart Foundation has one for primary schools. And the, the, the week our school did active week, the relief in the parent and carers WhatsApp group was phenomenal. Everybody was happy. Children were making obstacle courses at home and everybody kind of had a week where they could breathe a little bit. So it, it, it can be good for physical activity, mood and all of those things and to break the routine a little bit. So I would advocate for that. And one last thing would just be to focus on possibilities instead of plans. We didn't really talk much about young people going into uh, Leaving Cert and exams, but there's huge pressure around that final plan. When I do my Leaving Cert, my results will be and I will be A. I think early on, start to talk about possibilities. What are some of the possibilities for your life in the future? Rather than having one single plan, yes. open up a range of possibilities. You can be this and you can be this and you can also be this. And aren't those wonderful possibilities? And let's see where life takes you. Excellent. Thanks very much, Trudy. So that concludes our discussion. Uh, my thanks to our speakers, uh, Dr. Elanta Burke, uh, Dr. Mary Collins and uh, Dr. Trudy Meehan. Uh, further details about upcoming episodes of the RCSI My Health series can be found uh, on the RCSI website and you can also find the series on all of our podcast uh, platforms. RCSI is committed to improving human health and I'm delighted to say that we are ranked uh, first in the world for our impact uh, on global health and well-being. Thanks again to our partners Fleming Medical which is an Irish-owned uh, family business with 35 years' experience working with pharmacy and health professionals. And we're delighted to have their support for the series this year. 
So from all of us here at the RCSI University of Medicine and Health Sciences, to all of you, especially to those who are helping children and young people return to school, thanks for tuning in and we wish you well. Thank you for listening to RCSI My Health. We hope you found this episode useful and informative. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you can stay up to date on health-related topics directly from the experts. For more information on RCSI My Health series, please visit rcsi.com forward slash my health lectures.